Hey, South Bend City Church, Mariah here, the Director of Art and Worship. We're so thankful that you chose to join us today, and we're so grateful, whether local or long distance, that you're a part of our community. A couple reminders before we get to today's conversation. Just a reminder that Ash Wednesday is coming up this week, and this year the South Bend City Church community is invited to join one of our new neighbors, either the Cathedral of St. James or First Presbyterian Church. St. James will have two services this year, one at 7 a.m. that's intended to be a quick stop on your way to school or work, and one at 7 p.m. that's the full-fledged liturgy. And First Presbyterian will have a service at noon. Go to the link in the show notes below to find out more information about where they are at. If you're a long-distance community member and can't join us in person with one of our new neighbors, we would encourage you to check out our friends at Good Shepherd New York at the link in the show notes below as they stream their Ash Wednesday gatherings. Wherever you're tuning in from, we hope that this time, which marks the beginning of Lent, is a time of reflection and preparation as we move towards Holy Week. Another reminder and update is that last week we shared about Ken Oak's class happening here in South Bend at Studebaker 112 called God Suffering Evil. This is a class that runs every Thursday in Lent, and unfortunately, and also in a really good turn of events, a lot of you are interested, so we actually had to shut down registration. If you were hoping to be there, we're really sorry, but we wanted to make sure that we had quality discussion time during that, so we had to cap it at 30 people. Once again, we are sorry if you missed out, but we encourage you to go listen to the conversation that Ken and Jay had on the podcast a couple weeks ago in order to get an idea of where the class is heading and maybe offer some insights just within that conversation as well. As always, if you consider yourself to be a part of South Bend City Church, you can give. It's through your generosity that we're able to do what we do, and it's not lost on us, all that you give. So if you want to give financially, you can do so by heading to the link in the show notes below. And you can give either to our general fund, which goes to our everyday expenses and operations as a church. You can continue to give to the Tribune Project. You can give to our care fund or any other fund you see there. Once again, thank you for your generosity. All right, so we are in our final week of conversations for our See the City series. This weekend, we had the opportunity to learn from Jacqueline Cronk, CEO of Boys and Girls Clubs of St. Joe County. Not only did we learn more about the challenges facing kindergarten through 12th grade kids and their families, but we also announced a new partnership with the Boys and Girls Clubs with programs for kids launching at the Tribune this summer. For more information about the Boys and Girls Clubs, you can head to the links in the show notes below, and those links include an opportunity to step into volunteering if you're in the South Bend area. So as we prepare to move to the Tribune and pursue our vision of creating a place for the people— these conversations have helped guide the way, but this weekend we had the opportunity to share some more logistical information, including the dates that we will begin meeting in the Tribune. So let's jump in with Jason as he shares this exciting news with us for what the month ahead looks like. Let's jump in with the rest of our community now. Uh, I want to add my welcome to the welcomes you've already heard. My name is Jason. I'm our lead pastor here, and uh, you're here at a pretty pivotal moment in the life of our community. But let me remind you where we've been to give context to where we are today. Uh, back in 2019, we actually uh, got a little tip that there was a building in downtown South Bend sitting empty that might be a great home for our particular way of being together. And that's, of course, the printing press building of the South Bend Tribune. Uh, I can still picture the picture that I got on my phone of that big vaulted room that one night in 2019. At the time, we weren't looking for a new home. We were pretty early in our life here at Studebaker and quite happy here. 
Uh, however, as the years progressed, we found out that our lease arrangement, when it came to an end, uh, wouldn't be continued in the same form here. And so all of a sudden, not only did we need a new home, but we became curious about relocating ourselves in the heart of our city. And we became curious about a future where we could eventually be rent-free and debt-free and work towards some stability on that front. And so we brought it to you all. After we vetted it and considered the possibilities, we discerned as a church family whether we wanted to take this big step to purchase and renovate the Tribune. And we all uh, heard from a, a lot of you a lot of enthusiasm and encouragement. We had some questions and concerns. And we also heard a mandate, which is that the Tribune uh, be not just a place for South and City Church, but a place for everyone. That We wanted that building to be a resource that we could steward for the benefit of all kinds of people who call South Bend home. Not just a holy huddle on Sundays for church people, but a public place for common good. And in fact, we discovered uh, through our friend and church member, Jake Titus, that in the early days of the Tribune, the masthead of that newspaper called the newspaper a paper for the people. And we thought, what if we uh, went a little further with it and we just said, let's make it a place for the people, right? Uh, so that's the journey that we've been on, and I'm here to tell you that uh, we are right on the eve of our move to the Tribune, and today for the first time I get to give you the dates for our move. Are you excited about this? Yeah, it's very exciting. Uh, before I show you these dates, I want to underscore that this is happening thanks to hundreds of people who have given wisdom, who have advised us, who have uh, brought really wise counsel. Uh, people who have volunteered, who've put sweat equity and elbow grease into this, uh, people who've financially supported the project. Uh, we couldn't do this without a whole bunch of you who have brought what you have to give to this. And it's because of you that I get to tell you today uh, that we have a timeline for our move. Uh, first of all, on March 3rd, this will be our last Sunday here at Studebaker. And I want you to know that uh, we recognize that's a significant moment for us too. Even as we're excited about what's ahead, we want to honor and say thank you for what has been here. Uh, I know for many of you, like walking into this physical space had its own weight to it, right? Uh, maybe that was hard for you, scary for you, maybe it was full of hope. Uh, but in the years that have passed, we've found this place to be really sacred and meaningful. And we think that places matter. Uh, we think that matter matters. Uh, we got to start our life as a community in a formal sense on the old machine shop floor of this factory here. And we don't want to just skip right past that. So that'll be a very special Sunday for us. That's not just a day to pack things up. That's a day to honor and give thanks for what has been here. And so I hope that you'll uh, make a point to be here on March 3rd if you can. Then on March 10th, uh, we're doing a move day. So no regular gatherings on March 10th. Instead, that Sunday morning, we invite you to be part of the move. And then on March 17th, we will actually have our first Sunday at Tribune. Uh, that'll also, of course, be a very special day, and we hope that you'll be a part of it. Um, uh, the good news about that schedule as well is that the 17th gives us two full Sundays to find our groove before Easter. That seems very practically helpful before we get to that resurrection celebration and uh, anticipate a number of new guests. Uh, another note about that schedule, when you walk out today, please note we'll have these on the tables out there. Greeters will have them as well. We've got a really helpful print piece that has those dates along with details on Good Friday and Easter available. So grab this, put it on your refrigerator or next to your calendar, wherever you keep life sorted. Hopefully this will help you uh, be a part of everything that's coming up. Uh, we're very excited about it. Now we've got that workday on the 10th, but I want to let you know about some other workday options. So in addition to that Sunday morning where we'll like put our hands on the project together, uh, let me show you this other slide here. Between February 27th and March 14th, we've got a bunch of work opportunities because there's a lot of work to do to get all of this from here to there and set up. So during that window of time, on Tuesday and Thursday nights, uh, we'll have work sessions from 6 to 8 p.m., 
and on Saturdays from 9 a.m. to noon. Now, if you keep an eye on social media or follow us on our website, you'll see some more details. Some of those Tuesday and Thursday nights will be here at Studebaker. Some will be over at the Tribune. I don't want to, like, pummel you with all the details because that'll be a lot, but all those details will be on our social media. And let me say this, um, the, the opportunity is for everyone. Uh, we'd love to invite all of you to get your hands on it. You can be low skill, high skill. You can feel like you know exactly what you do, know to do when you walk into like a moving day, or you could be like me. And I told our staff team quite seriously, I'm like, I don't feel like I should captain any of this. I don't know what to throw out and what to keep. I, don't, just, I will do exactly as I'm told. So just like put me to work and I'll be a good worker. And that might be how you walk into that. Uh, but I would encourage you to get in on this, um, not just because it's helpful for the cause, although it is, and we need everyone, but maybe more importantly, I, I really want you to know that this place is something that you have ownership in. Um, the church is something that we do together and something that we build together. And so for you to have a chance to get your hands on it is a really beautiful way for you to know that for yourself. And even if you don't, it doesn't mean it's not true. Uh, but to do that is to uh, really invest your own energy in that experience so that when you walk in there on that first Sunday, you can look around and know uh, that you're part of making this what it is. And so, again, you'll see all these details pushed out through social media and on our website in the weeks ahead. But you're here today, and we are excited for you to be the first to know about our transitional schedule over to the Tribune. Uh, we're very excited about it. Now, I mentioned um, that we want the Tribune to be a place for the people. And if you've been here the last few weeks, you also know that uh, we have this conviction together, um, which is that for that building to be a place for the people means that we have to be a people for the people. Um, but of course, like architecture and design matter. Those are ways that we reflect that value. Programming and partners matter. Those are ways that we reflect that value. But more important and more central than any of that is that we become a people for the people, which is a journey that we've been on from the beginning and will always be moving forward on, that will never arrive. Uh, it means learning how to see people for what they're really experiencing, how to honor their experience, how to hear their stories, how to become more educated on what different people experience right here in the city of South Bend. And so to further that effort on our eve of moving into the Tribune, we've been learning the last few weeks about different experiences right here in the city of South Bend. Uh, at the beginning of all this, we heard from Carl Hetler. Carl's both a member of South Bend City Church, and he runs Point for the City of South Bend on issues related to homelessness. And I don't know about you, but I know for me, hearing from Carl was highly educational. Uh, as I learned more about um, the things that people experience when they experience homelessness, the kinds of factors that contribute to that, and the best ways that we can help people who want to transition out of that. Uh, the week after that, we heard from Juan Constantino, the executive director of La Casa de Amistad. Uh, that organization serves the Latino, Hispanic, and immigrant community here in South Bend. And not only do we get to learn from them, but our Christmas offering gives us the chance to support their work on uh, legal support for immigration issues. Uh, last week, you heard from Matt Grable in conversation with Willow Weatherall, the director of Downtown South Bend Incorporated, about downtown development and business, which I'm really thankful that we get to take a, a view of that as well, because that really matters if we want South Bend to flourish. And then today, uh, to wrap things up, I'm going to introduce one more person to you that I can't wait for you to learn from. Uh, one other note, uh, you wouldn't have known about this probably because we didn't advertise it because it's a prototype, but this weekend, uh, under the leadership of Tom Grant with Grace Baker at his side, uh, we piloted a new immersion program right here in South Bend, a sort of local pilgrimage where members of South Bend City Church spent Friday evening, Saturday, and even this morning uh, in conversation with different partners and learning about different stories and experiences that shape the history of South Bend. And that history, as you may know, is complicated, right? 
and there are like beautiful highlights to that history, and there are deep inequities in that history, and learning that history and seeing the map today is part of seeing our city well. And so I just want you to know that that's happening right now, and after we learn from the prototype and figure out where we go from there, you might have a chance to be a part of that. So that's also an ongoing part of our effort to be a church that loves our city well. But today, uh, you get to hear from another expert leader in our community, and we get to celebrate a new partnership that you're gonna hear more about. Uh, So please welcome Jacqueline Cronk to the stage. Yeah, come on. Hey, Jacqueline, welcome to the Sacred Rug. Uh, I don't know if you know this, this this is the first physical asset Southland City Church ever owned, and we hauled this thing from the brick to the Century Center to the Doubletree Hotel to Union Station uh, to Studebaker, and then we're going to take it to Tribune, and I hope you feel all of that like energy and mojo kind of rising up through you as you speak to us now. I love it. My son just says, Mom, it looks like you're about to be in a 100,000 pyramid. <laughs> like good, good. That's amazing. Talk show, so no, That's good. Uh, Jacqueline, before we get to know your work, we'd love to get to know you a little bit. Uh, tell us about like, your roots here in the community and the work that you did before you do what you do today. Yeah, born and raised here in South Bend. Uh, both of my parents are from this community and, and grateful to be raising my own family here. Nice. Uh, what kind of work were you doing uh, before you did this work? So he teased me earlier. I started my career in sports broadcasting. I wanted to be Hannah Storm, and, and I, I had this uh, sports show on WSBT when I was still an intern in college yeah. called Sports Dogs with a Z, super sophisticated. <laughs> uh, and, and when I did it, um, I quickly realized uh, that that wasn't my passion. And so shortly thereafter, uh, started interning at the Center for the Homeless and was uh, tasked with being in charge of uh, all the homeless teens there. And it really was an eye-opening experience and kind of solidified my track in the nonprofit sector. Uh, If you're not aware, Center for the Homeless is right around the corner here, a really profoundly important partner in the community that works on issues related to homelessness. Uh, Tell us a little bit about like what you saw there that got your heart. Yeah, well... There's a myriad of issues that bring a child into homelessness, um, <clears throat> but I had a, a, an opportunity to take uh, several of them to Washington, D.C. for a week and um, to see all of our nation's sites and, and to learn about the history and the experiences there and to really see that through a child's eyes and to give them access and opportunity to do that. Um, but when we came back uh, upon reflecting and they had to do a, a report and to dive in and and it wasn't Martin Luther's King steps. It wasn't the, um, the White House. It wasn't all those experiences. They all commented about the pillows in the hotel room and how soft they were and how comfortable they were. And it was in that moment that really, I think, again, is we have to do better for our kids. It has to be beyond the pillows and that experience. And, and what other uh, opportunities can we afford them and allow them to experience? The, the pillow story is so... Um striking to me. I, and I'm guessing in the room here, there's roughly two experiences. One is maybe those of us who know that we wouldn't have noticed the pillows uh, because of the privileges of our own background and experience. And so you hear that story and it, it helps you appreciate the fact that some people are having a very different experience of life. And then there's others in here who totally get that story. And maybe they've been there or maybe they're there right now. And um, quite literally, like a simple luxury, like a high quality pillow seems pretty far away from what they've had. But I appreciate that story because it makes so real for all of us, I think, um, what you saw and how it got your heart and turned you towards some of the work that you're doing today. Uh, So tell us about who you work for today. So yeah, I'm the CEO of the Boys and Girls Club in St. Joseph County. Um, 
Our mission is to inspire and enable all kids, especially those who need us the most, to reach their full potential as productive, responsible, and caring citizens. And I want to really emphasize those who need us the most. 85% um, of our kids are on free or reduced lunch, um, socioeconomically challenged, and really just need that extra support, those interventions, to help them become the best versions of themselves. Amazing. Um, there's a lot there. Let's go to that mission statement again. I want to read this slowly because I just think there's so much to it. And even, even reading this, I know it gets me inspired and excited about what you all are up to. You all are here to inspire and enable all young people, especially those who need us most, to realize their full potential as productive, caring, and responsible citizens. Uh, need us most. Talk to us about the needs that you all see and how you think about that. Yeah, when you're talking about the demand for our services, um, I want to first, as a precursor, say we really believe strongly in asset-based framing and that our kids have tremendous potential, right? And so that, that I want to say is a baseline. But they also for, have... Sorry, needs. let me pause there. Just, uh, that's kind of technical for some people. So by that you mean we don't start by just seeing what's missing in these kids, right? We also see what's there, what's good, what's beautiful, what's strong. And that that should be our baseline, yeah, right? Yeah. That should be our focus is that when you walk through our doors, your potential is great. Yeah. Your dignity, your worth, everything about you is unique and special, and we need to celebrate that. Um, you aren't uh, defined by your challenge in literacy or your yes. challenge in math or your socioeconomic background. Um, and I think the Boys and Girls Club, what we try to do is break those barriers down as much as possible and then embrace the child for where they're at and give them the supports that they need to thrive. That's amazing. Um, if you've been around here for a, even a, a little while, hopefully your ears are ringing a little bit. Uh, we don't expect our community partners to you know, share the same theological story that our church holds, but we do look for shared values, right? And um, these values can be expressed in different ways and with different language. But if you've been around here for a little while, hopefully you've heard us, heard us invoke uh, one of our mantras, which is illustrated uh, on the top right over there, everyone an icon. Uh, in, in fact, even last week, I think this got a shout out. Um, this is our belief that for us comes from scripture that every human being is a bearer of the image of God, uh, which means that every human being has sacred worth and dignity, uh, that no matter what has happened to you, no matter what circumstances you're facing, no matter how you've been relegated by unjust systems or experiences, no matter any of those things, that you're a sacred bearer of the image of God. And as a church, it's one of our convictions to start there with one another, right? No matter what we're dealing with, we don't want to start with seeing each other as a problem to solve, right? We're, we're here to honor the image of God in each other. And I hear the same heart when you talk about the way that you all want to see the young people that you work with. And I just want to call that out in case you, like, you feel that with me, that there's a resonance here uh, between the posture of the Boys and Girls Clubs and what we feel called to. Uh, side note, um, I think this got shouted out last week as well, but we've got mantra cards over there. We don't call them out enough, but they're like literal printed little cards with the illustrations and the mantras. And it might be helpful to you if you want to throw one in your wallet or your purse or stick one uh, next to your computer monitor. Uh, I've heard some really fun stories of places where people place those to keep them reminded of that value, and there's uh, plenty of stock over there if you want to grab some today. That being said, let's get back to these young people. Um, so with all that framing, uh, there is a lot of need there too, right? Tell us more about what these young people are up against. You know, I started in, in January of 2020, right before the pandemic hit. And um, as an organization, I would say, transparently, we were stagnant at best. And we really needed to reevaluate what we're doing and, and adjust our mission to meet the needs of this, those that we're serving. And after the pandemic, when we facilitated e-learning, when the schools made the difficult decision to shut down, we stayed open. Hmm. And it allowed us to regain that trust and that rapport with the families we're serving, but it also allowed us to drill down a little bit further and say, the, the academic needs of the kids that we're serving are vast. So 90% of our kids that we serve today are two or more grade levels behind where they need to be. 
90%. That's across all districts. That's not just one district. And so that should startle and scare the bejeez out of us, right? And so we needed to pivot our programming to, to meet that need. And so we wrote a curriculum, got some funding uh, alongside the University of Notre Dame, and really doubled down on literacy, uh, math fluency, our emotional well-being program, and then college and workforce readiness. So those are our four key tenets. Nice. Let's, uh, let's go a little more concrete about what happens at a club. So if that's kind of the strategic map of what you all are doing and how you're thinking about this moment, post-COVID in particular, uh, take us into the experience of a young person who walks into a club. What's going to happen? What are they going to uh, be benefiting from while they're there? And I appreciate that question because I think the Boys and Girls Club is really well known. Everybody knows our hands, the logos. It's a national brand. It's a part of a huge movement. But they don't really know what it means to be at the Boys and Girls Club. And so um, a typical day for our child is they walk in. They are greeted by name. They are a known entity. They are seen. Um, we really fight hard to keep our ratios 1 to 10, 1 to 12, so we have that personal relationship. And when they um, walk in, is that typically right after school? After school. So we're before school and after school. Great question. And we complement the great work that the teachers are doing every day. And when they walk through our doors, often they're a little bit cranky. We call it the witching hour. Uh, that three to six time period is our sweet spot. I'm kind of grouchy then too, so that makes sense. Well, you're hungry, you're tired, you don't want to sit in the classroom. You certainly want to, don't want to do more academic enrichment, um, which is what, what we're facilitating. And so it is imperative that everything we do is fun. It's fun and it's, it's um, childlike, but it still has excellent programming to it. And um, so a child is seen, they are heard, they are valued when they walk into our doors. But then we also dive right in. We get them a snack, we let them blow off some steam, um, and then we go into our literacy curriculum. Depending on where a child's at, we either break them into small groups um, or do a big group. We find, which, which I think is fascinating, that we put our higher performing kids with some of our lower performing kids and that they both rise. Oh. Um, and that we really approach that philosophy and that intentionality to, to facilitate a program that they are getting what they need, but also is encompassed with that genuine human encounter um, that we need to, to make that person feel safe and comfortable at the club. Um, and then couple that with our emotional well-being program. Um, and then our sports and recreation and all the other things that we do as well. Uh, I know emotional well-being is on our minds right now, right? Um, everybody seems to be facing some challenges there. Collectively, we're having a hard season. And you all have taken that really seriously. This isn't some kind of amateur effort. Can you tell us more about the way that you resource um, emotional needs and like who's in the clubs and how you're thinking about that? Yeah, we do take this space really seriously. You know, if your hierarchy of needs are not being met, we can't make traction in literacy and math and, and the things academically. Um, we have are one of the few clubs in the country that have our own staff psychologist. Um, Dr. Erica Kelsey is uh, is brilliant, and she has brought a uh, a pretty robust program where we do universal screeners for all of our club kids that flags and identifies any trauma, anything that needs to be addressed, and then we filter them into either small groups or more intensive therapies and get our kids the support they need, but then we also complement the mainstream with programming around self-regulation and how can we navigate conflict. Um, it's giving our kids the tools to, to, to really um, be able to process things that have happened to them, particularly those from our lower socioeconomic backgrounds, to then be able to, to function, again, as re responsible and productive citizens moving forward. We've got amazing programs in this space. We have a, um, a biofeedback program that literally is a video game. If a child's really struggling, they can pop over in this video game, they have a heart rate monitor, and the only way they can advance in the video game is by regulating their emotions. 
to, to wow. identify and determine that they can thrive. And then Dr. Kelsey gets that data and then gives our kids the tools to, again, here's a space we need to work on. Um, the kids think they're playing video games, which is great. And, and, but really, they're coming in tune with themselves. Uh, so it's a beautiful program, and we're really excited to be on the cutting edge of some of that research there. That's amazing. Uh, our staff team got to get a tour of your space over at the Portage School for Leaders, because you have a clubhouse that's part of the same building, right? And in that, in that larger clubhouse area, we saw, I don't know what you call it, there's a room to the side where you've got some tools, some, some kind of self-soothing mechanisms. Can you tell us a little bit about that space? So he's talking about our new teen center. So we've grown exponentially over the last four years. Uh, we, when I started in January 2020, we had five club locations. Uh, our teen center, our site there is our 30th. In fact, let's uh, pull that slide up real quick and talk about all this growth before we go further there. Since you're there, five to 30 sites, uh, 12 school districts in three counties, that's not even accurate now, right? How many counties are you in? So we're in five counties uh, in the north central part of our, our state right now. Um, yeah, it, we met the demand. And the demand is there for what we're doing. Um, having said that, with our growth, our wait list as of this morning is 861 children. And so uh, the, the supply far outweighs the demand. And so we're doing our best to stay a squeaky wheel, to get additional funding, to make sure our workforce is where we need it to be, and to be serving these kids um, as effectively as possible. And so uh, the teen center, the one we just opened, our 30th location, is really focused on teens. Um, I think teens get a bad rap in our town. Uh, and we need to find ways, the onus is on us, the responsibility is on us to engage them in a productive and positive way and to give them career exploration opportunities, to give them exposure to certifications and skills that will lead to high demand, high wage jobs. Our workforce development, our economic development, it all matters. Like we are pouring into our future and we need to make sure that we're laying that foundational aspect right now. There's an irony, I think, in, um, I think a lot of us are tempted to separate uh, maybe the well-being of maybe young people that we don't know, teenagers that we just read about in headlines every once in a while when something bad happens. We kind of bracket that, and then separately we think about like economic development in our region. But you're talking about the fact that like the one supports the other, right? Like if the people who are growing up here aren't being given the skills that they need to show up and be productive and contribute, like everybody loses in the long run, right? Yeah, and I think it goes back to our mission statement: responsible, caring, informed citizens. Like we all need to care. Um, and excuse my French, but we need to give a shit about yeah. our young people yeah. and do she so in a positive way. She gets to do that on stage because she's not the pastor. I know. I've, I got through the first one, Letty, uh, without <laughs> swearing. Um, but no, I, it, it's because I care. And I, I think um, we need to be investing in our future. And we need to do so in an authentic and a consistent way where the relationship is at the forefront. And kids can sense that right out of the gates. They know if you really care or are you just blowing me smoke, right? And so we need to, again, listen to them. The teens that we're, we're working with, like, they want to work. They want to work. They care about their community wholeheartedly. They're sick of the gun violence, and they want to be a part of the solution. We just need to give them the, the agency and autonomy to do that. Yeah. Uh, I love hearing you talk about your team. Uh, you love your team. It comes through loud and clear. And by team, I mean um, really hundreds of people now, right? Everything from executive leadership down to the people who are in these spaces every day with the kids. Tell us a little bit about like, who's on the team, uh, who makes this work from your side of things. Yeah, and, and I, I do love my team. Uh, I am exceptionally fortunate to work alongside some incredible leaders. Um, I believe that we need the world's best talent working on the world's hardest problems. And I also believe that nonprofits need to stop operating like nonprofits and operate more like businesses. Uh, and we need to treat employees that way. And we need to pay them appropriately and we need to compensate them and, and we need to invest back in them. I'm proud as an organization over the last four years that we've 
uh, landed with a sizable surplus at each of those four years. And we use that and we invest it back in our people. Um, whether it's counseling for our people, whether it's care for our people. Um, turns out people just want to feel valued and appreciated. Uh, and I'm really proud. We've got an 86% uh, retention rate year over year. Uh, that's, and, I don't know if you all know, that's staggering. I mean, that's really sharp and impressive. Yeah. And again, I, I go through it. That's our leaders. Um, we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but we have authentic dialogue with our team about ways that we can improve. Again, it's supportive relationships and it's excellent programming, and we could not do that without our team. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, before that one thing that is a sort of point of pride is when former like club members like join the team, right? That's a dynamic there? Yeah, we have a, a significant number of former club kids who are now club directors which is like, for me, that's what success looks like. It's those who are investing back into the organization that helped make them a leader and a, and a, a voice uh, for the future. And so um, seeing our club kids uh, come to fruition, and it makes me feel old now, but uh, to see that path and, and how excited they are to come to work every day, I mean, they get it. They're like, I was that kid. I do get you. I do see you. And I can, I can help you cut through whatever you're, you're working through right now and help you be, become the best version of yourself. Yeah. Uh, so you all do it with your team, but you also do it with partners. Um, tell us a little bit about like, what partnership looks like. Who do you partner with and how does that become part of the equation for the work that you're doing? Yeah. And this is a tricky one because I believe in collaboration entirely and partnerships are, I think, were a huge aspect of our growth. Um, but we do not take partnering lightly. Um, we've gotten burned a few times and, and I'll be uh, I will not let that happen again. Um, and it's really I think it comes down to a commitment to excellence. And it also comes down to shared values and wanting what's best for our community. And I believe that the programming that we are running and the partnerships that we bring in should be the highest caliber possible. They should be world class because our kids deserve that. And so often, I think in, in whether it's on the west side or the southeast side, those kids aren't getting the best resources. And I think that's hogwash to use a better term. And that- <laughs> The other one was fine too. <laughs> yes, um, and that they, uh, we should demand, me as a leader, I should demand that I'm only partnering with the very best. Um, and I would also say, are you uh, exemplifying some of our core values, a growth mindset, um, a commitment to family? How can we uh, embrace and make sure that we are um, striving to improve every single day? And so I think that is, um, those are some really key tenants before we embrace in a partnership with someone, they have to have those pillars embedded within. Yeah, uh, we've had the privilege of getting to know each other for months now, the Boys and Girls Clubs in Southland City Church, um, through shared experiences, to show up in your spaces and see the work that you're up to, for you and your team to show up in our spaces and see the way that we shape space and to get to know one another's values and heart behind all of that. And today we get to announce uh, that after a lot of work getting to know each other, uh, we get to kind of publicly say for the first time that this summer, the Boys and Girls Clubs are gonna be operating at the Tribune. This is really good news, right? Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what's happening this summer? Yeah, so we were, um, just on Friday, the Indiana Department of Education announced that we were awarded $3.7 million to uh, facilitate um, a summer program um, across 16 locations for 2,500 kids this summer, um, all at free of charge for the families that we're serving. So full-day programming and the Tribune building will be one of those 16 locations, and we couldn't be more excited about that. I, and I think it goes back to the shared values, the vision, how we can make the community a better place, and taking your footprint in that absolutely magnificent, beautiful space that you have there and allowing it to come to life and be a part of the community. There's no better way to do that than welcoming in kids to your doors. I can tell you all, like, for a lot of us, I think, I'll speak for many, um, 
you know, when we made the decision on the Tribune, we dreamed about and hoped for and imagined life in that building during the week. We didn't know exactly what shape it would take. It meant a lot of listening and learning and trying to understand, like, what are the needs that are most urgent in the community, and then where do those align with what we can offer in terms of space. But to go from hoping and imagining to actually visualizing uh, the work that you all do happening in there during the week, the fullness and the life and the good work that happens there, um, it's just like almost overwhelming as a point of joy for us uh, to see that happening. And just so you all know, a little bit of background on that, you might wonder, I mean, Jacqueline already made reference to it. There's been a lot of courtship going on here for quite a while. Um, we really appreciate that you all don't just partner with anyone. That means that you have values that you stick to. And I think it's been really good for us to spend a lot of time with each other. It means seeing your spaces and you seeing ours. It means like Karen Grant, our kids ministry director, like actually like getting her hands on the question of like, how do, how do we actually share space? Because it, it's really like cute to like dream about it, but like you need to be smart about that, right? So that everybody wins week in and week out. So that uh, your teams and our teams aren't frustrating one another with the way that the space is left. And so I, I'll just tell you all, you can be really proud of the amount of process that's happened behind the scenes to get us to this point. And I think we can feel really good about us setting each other up for mutual success in that space. The other note is, um, so we're starting with the summer program, and then we will kind of keep refining together, right? And so there's a real sense of like, let's try something, let's learn from it, let's tweak and refine and move forward together in a way that um, ensures that like we keep getting better together as we go. So you're going to see a really beautiful process at work, I think, in the next few months. Um, uh, one thing, another thing that we love about this is I think our ideal partnerships are one that stack multiple resources from our church, right? So there's physical space uh, that uh, we now own and are stewarding. Um, there's dollars, right? There's also like lives, bodies, energy, right? Uh, volunteering is an important way that we show up. And I'm really excited to know that we can not just share space, but also uh, share energy because people can volunteer with the Boys and Girls Clubs. Yeah, they sure can. Volunteers are the lifeblood of what we do. Um, and, and I want to preface that by also saying... Uh, if you commit to volunteering with us, and I'm unapologetic about this, this is going to be hard work. It's going to be hard work. You are investing in a, in a young person and a child, and you're building that relationship and that rapport, and they need to feel like they can trust you. Um, we are not the organization that you're going to come and pat yourself on the back for painting a room, right? You are going to come and actually have a tangible difference in the life of a child, and that is something that we do not take lightly. And, and I would not be doing my job if I didn't preface and say our volunteers are incredibly important to help us achieve that. Now, there's a variety of ways that we can execute upon that. We can, you know, there's a number of people who are starting a new TED Talk series where they're coming and teaching our kids how to give their own TED Talks <laughs> or exposing them to different career pathways, whether you're a teacher or a banker or an engineer or a welder. If we're not exposing our kids to STEM and different career pathways by 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, it's almost too late. And so exposing our kids in first, second, third grade uh, with different career pathways, we love that. Um, it's coming in and it's helping facilitate our literacy curriculum. It's helping kids who are two grade levels behind feel confident when they're coming in a room. I, I told a story this morning about a young man um, of a site that I was at who got kicked out of a program. He was throwing a chair and he was really upset. And he and I had to take a walk and we shot some baskets in the gym. And I came back and I was like, now tell me what's really going on. Because it's never... It's never just at surface level, right? And honestly, to our, our emotional being team's credit, he was able to vocalize that and say, I would rather act a fool than be outed that I don't know how to read to my other fifth grade peers. So we as adults need to come in in that environment and see and cut through the fat and be able to navigate alongside that child and be an advocate and a champion for him to say, no, you can do this. You can do this. So we're going to help you do it. And you're going to feel good about it along the way. 
And then, you know, they, he sits up a little bit straighter. And then when his mom comes to pick him up, more often than not, she's getting bad news from somebody about his behavior. And I was like, he was awesome today. And then she perks up, right? And then you can see that ripple effect of how that could uh, change the lens of a child's um, perspective on themselves and how absolutely important that is for us to be putting these positive dep deposits into them every single day consistently. We have, um, even in some of our sites, you know, we're constantly striving to, be get, to get better, but we have them wear little buzzers on their hips um, that buzz every two minutes to give positive affirmation to our kids, constant. And they have reported back to us that that feels so good for them and it feels good for the kids and it, you can see the entire culture rise. Now, it's not Pavlov's dog, so it's not forever, but it does create that muscle memory and that intentionality of this is how you allow someone to thrive and this is what you, we all need as human beings to feel good. It goes back to our employees. They're no different than the kids we're serving. Everyone wants to be valued, seen, and heard. Uh, uh, for volunteers, for people who hear that vision and that challenge and they get excited about it, how do they take a next step toward the organization to get involved? Yeah, we'll, we'll send out contact information. We've got rotating volunteer orientations. We take safety very, very seriously. And so you'd have to go through some, some of our protocols and, and learn more about our safety um, because our job is to protect our kids above, above all. And then we can dive you in and get you, uh, we have 30 locations. So if you're in Mishawaka, we're in, and now we're in Penn, uh, it, we're down in, in the John Glenn district, but we also are in White County and we're in Cass and Fulton. Uh, and so we are growing rapidly to try to meet the demand, um, particularly in those rural areas where they might not have access to, to after-school programming uh, like they do up here. Amazing. Uh, we'll channel those contact points uh, out to you all through the podcast notes, and you'll be able to see that uh, after the Sunday here. Uh, I'm curious how you all think about success. Like, what does it look like to succeed for the Boys and Girls Clubs, and how do you know when it's happening? Yeah, our, our leadership team, we are um, laser focused uh, on this. So our goal is to be the best Boys and Girls Club in the country in the next 10 years. Uh, and so we've got our three and our five-year objectives laid out to that. But it's all about growth. It's meeting the demand for the services, but also having um, a tangible and meaningful impact in improving the lives of our community and our young people. It starts with them. Um, whether it's tying to the Department of Ed standards on literacy, whether it's making sure that our kids are self-regulated, whether it's um, making sure that our staff really feel appreciated and valued and have career pathways. I think all of those tenants are critical to the success and becoming that uh, 10 years from now. Uh, so those are kind of metric level success stories. Um, but can you drop down from that back to maybe uh, a personal example of like where you feel like um, you've seen a success story that helps you know that what you're doing is mattering? Yeah, we had a young woman at one of our South Bend Elementary schools who was really struggling, um, really struggling, and uh, had been suspended multiple times um, and needed to be assessed uh, for her IEP and some uh, behavioral issues. What, what, sorry, what's that? IEP, Individualized Education Plan. So, sorry, I'm, we've got a lot of short little acronyms. But IEP, so it is a, a pathway for a, a child to really thrive and succeed at school. Um, the turnaround time for a child to get evaluated is anywhere from six to nine months. So she continued to get uh, suspended, um, single dad at home. Um, dad lost his job because he didn't have childcare to offset and to make sure that his daughter had what he needed or what she needed and wasn't left unsupervised. That was actually the impetus behind our emotional well-being program, her alone. I was like, this is, we have got to do better by this child. And so Dr. Kelsey, our, our staff psychologist, um, she, our turnaround time for kids to be seen or assessed with an IEP is five days. 
And so to be able to get that child back in school, like that was the main motivation. And so if we can replicate that now, you know, serving 3,200 kids a year, if we can facilitate that, be that advocate, be that champion for the kids that we're serving, it's far beyond out-of-school time providers, right? We need a whole collective community, the teachers, the parents, um, and, and honest, honestly, the, the youth development workers who, are, again, are pouring in and have, honestly, probably a better rapport with the students because of their background and that. And if we can be that buffer and liaison back to education, then that's a win for everybody. Amazing. Um, Jacqueline, I've spent a little bit of time with you now and um, gotten to know a bit of how you work and how you lead. And I, I gather, I think even for those who are sitting in the room right now, just beginning to get to know you and your work, um, that uh, there's a real sense that um, you're a leader that we want to learn from. Um, I sense there's a kind of a force to your own life, uh, an impact to your life that's really admirable. And um, I've also gotten to know you just enough to suspect, as I was right in the 9 a.m., that you uh, are really inclined to you know, send all the praise to the people around you, which I really love and admire. Um, I also love and admire the fact that that story that you tell about the fourth grader who was acting out and then you had to go shoot hoops with him for a little bit, that it's you, the CEO, also uh, in the club doing the work. Um, I think there's an integrity to that that rings really true for us. And so uh, I really want to ask you just for a moment about your own like, self-leadership. Um, being with you, it can feel like this is inevitable for you. Like this is just the way your life works, that you show up this way, that you care about these things, that you have this impact. Uh, but I don't believe that, because I don't think anybody just inevitably ends up that way, right? We are both the recipient of the things around us that sustain us, and we make our own choices, and we have our own habits, and we become who we become for a lot of reasons. And if it's okay, I'd love to like just poke in a little bit and ask you how you sustain your leadership. Um, how, how did you become the person who cares about these things? And once you became that person, how do you keep showing up for these things the way that you do? I know that's a big question. It is a big question. I do so imperfectly. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a mother of four. So my four small humans are over here. And I, um, I have been blessed to have a lot of people pour into me over the course of my life, whether it's my, my grandparents, my parents, my spouse. Um, and I also feel like we, I love my job. And I am given an opportunity, and, but I also feel like it's a responsibility. Um, those 400 people that are now on our payroll uh, depend on us to be making the right decisions, to be leading with passion um, and commitment to what we're doing. And I think that, um, that alone inspires me every single day. But it's the kids who like skip into our building, blissfully unaware of, of all of the intricacies and everything that goes into making their experience a positive one. Um, those are the ones that keep me up at night because I know there are 861 of them that we're not serving, that we could be. Um, and that if I'm not a squeaky wheel down at the state house, or if I'm not a squeaky wheel with legislators here locally, then I'm not doing my job to the fullest extent possible. Um, and it's partnerships through this and relationships with volunteers and that whole collective community effort that is going to set us apart, that is going to make South Bend continue to be a, a wonderful place to live. And, um, you know, I am just really, really fortunate to be sitting where I am today. Well, we are uh, fortunate to be sitting with you, and I really mean that. Uh, we are grateful for the Boys and Girls Clubs, the whole team, uh, a number of your team members. We bumped into some of them go to our church. Uh, they are heroes of ours, and you are too. And uh, I hope that you sense uh, the love and the support of this community. It's great that we get to be tactically involved. That matters. 
Uh, but behind that, I hope you sense the spirit uh, of a community of people who are cheering for you. And um, I know I'm personally like, taking notes, not just at the tactical level, but at the moral level, at uh, the way that you bring yourself to the work and the way that you lead for our community. So thank you for that. Um, I'd love for you to kind of have the last word here. In a minute, uh, we'll have the chance to pray for their work and to receive a benediction. Um, but you got a, you got a church full of people here who care about South Bend, um, who have a mandate to love well. Uh, but we need help knowing what that looks like. And so uh, anything you want to encourage us or challenge us uh, to live up to what you've already heard described as our values as a community. Well, first off, I am no, I am no expert. I am doing my best day in, day out. Um, but I, I do think what I love about South Bend City Church is that there is a level of inquisitiveness and a desire to learn and to understand that I feel like if our if our city and our country embodied that more, um, that we would come to a place of more of that civil discourse that we need to have. And I, I, so I encourage to continue to foster that, um, particularly when we've got some really tough issues today, uh, whether it's the homelessness and the new intake center or serving kids. You know, one of the, the locations that was identified for the new intake center was right across the street from the Boys and Girls Club. Rook, let me pause. For all you who aren't aware, we're talking about sort of frontline access, right, for those who are unhoused before they can make their way into other services or whatever. Just if y'all wonder what I mean by new intake center, and it's been quite contentious lately as far as where it goes, and just to give some background, please keep going. Yeah, and it's, it's a tricky one, and there's no easy solution, and I admire the work that so many people are putting in to find a solution, but um, you know, I've gotten phone calls being like, are you not outraged that this is where they're proposing to put it? And, and I have to take a step back and say, why is it that we are so inclined to support little ducklings and then when they grow up, we're like, we're done. And you've got, to go, you've got to go in a different corner over here somewhere. And I think if, if we can approach human beings with a level of compassion to understand trauma, to understand the influences of that and the complexities around poverty and all that entails, I think that will make us more informed citizens as we go to find solutions. And I think um, if we as a collective community can continue to raise that voice and that lens and that perspective, that it'll, it'll pay huge dividends for us in being a place and a community that all belong, all. Not just the little ducklings, but everybody. And, and so um, I commend you all for maintaining that mindset and that mentality because I, I think it's needed now more than ever. Mm. Um, it's right, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, it strikes me that Juan Constantino here two weeks ago, he had kind of a similar mandate for us. You know, this sort of Latino, Hispanic, and immigrant community, and his mandate was like, keep learning. And as you were talking, I was thinking about um, how, I think everybody wants to think of themselves as compassionate, but so often fear, I think, becomes the thing that, that blocks that effort, right? But the curiosity that you're calling us to can be one way of overcoming that fear, right? The more curious we are, the less we have to be afraid, and the more we can move forward together. So thank you for that word for us. Um, we'd love to you know, offer a prayer for you and for the Boys and Girls Clubs, uh, for your team, for the young people that you serve. Um, what should we pray for? I would say that we are able to fulfill our mission to the ex highest extent possible, that we can eliminate that wait list, that our staff is inspired and motivated to come into work every single day. They have the hardest jobs by none. Um, that they are making a meaningful and tangible difference in the lives of the kids that we're serving and their families. And that together we can rise as a community. 
That's awesome. Well, we'd love to pray for that. So church, if you're able, will you stand to your feet? Uh, I'm going to offer a prayer uh, for the work that we've just heard about. And then when that's done, I'm going to share with us a benediction. Uh, so let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for the good work that we've heard about today. Uh, we know there's profound need in our community, uh, as there is in pretty much every place in this world. And yet, in the face of that need, uh, there are so many brave, beautiful, and creative things happening. And so we thank you, and we thank you that we get to be a part of it. Uh, we pray for the Boys and Girls Clubs of St. Joe County and beyond, since apparently they're like for like five counties now. And uh, we thank you for them, uh, for the many who show up every day, who work tirelessly on behalf of these young people. Uh, I pray for Jacqueline herself, for her team, uh, for those in leadership, and for those on the front lines, that they would have what they need at every level. So I pray that they would have the right spaces, the right materials, the right financial resources, the right insight and wisdom, the right tools. I pray to you that they would have uh, what they need in their spirits, uh, that they would discover that there's a love and a power pouring through them, filling up their hearts and sustaining them, that they would feel in some strange way that they are not on their own in this work. Uh, I pray that too for South and City Church, that we'd be a part of the material answer to that prayer, uh, that we'd be part of answering the request that they not be on their own. So thank you for the chance to be with them in it. Uh, we pray for the young people who will show up at clubs across these five counties, uh, that they will discover a space where they know that they are loved, that they matter, that their sacred dignity is named and drawn out. And we pray especially for the young people who will show up at the Tribune, um, that everything about that place will be in the service of love and flourishing, uh, that we'll meet people on the common ground for the common good, and that these young people will be a part of that. Uh, so thank you again uh, for these incredible partners and the incredible work that's happening here. Thank you for all the love and compassion that mark this city and for the ways that we keep discovering that we belong to each other. I pray that uh, you would help us to grow up further and further into that. And I pray through Christ. Amen. Amen. And now, church, uh, may we learn to love and see well. May we be the kind of community that lives up to its calling as a community of grace and peace, of generosity and justice for our city and the world. May the Tribune be a place for the people as we become a people for the people. And may grace and peace be with you. Amen. Love you all. See you next week.